0: Welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a Game Master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. I'm also a Game Master who's currently quite sick. So, (laughs) if you can hear the congestion in my voice, that's why. But don't worry, you won't have to bear with that in the interview, in the discussion, because this uh, segment is being recorded quite some time after the conversation actually occurred. Uh, I recorded today's episode about two months ago, with somebody who is very important to me in my game mastering career, somebody who was very influential for me as I was learning to become a game master. So I hope you're as excited as I am to listen to today's conversation. In today's episode, we're going to talk about game mastering philosophies. These can be things that are core to you as a game master, or things that evolve through time. In fact, It can kind of be both, I I think most game mastering philosophies evolve, or at least you should strive to be open for this kind of evolution, but anyway, I'm I'm rambling already. So we talk about game mastering philosophies. Before I get to that discussion though, I did want to preface this with a little something. So this conversation went uh, a significant amount of time, which I'm super excited about, you know, I'm really glad that I got to talk to Seth for such a long time. But uh, for that reason, I decided to split the episode into two. So there's going to be, you know, maybe slightly shorter episodes than usual, probably 45 minute long episodes each. And I'm going to do my best to cut them into two parts that are relatively independent from one another. But I still wanted to give you guys that heads up. You should try to listen to both if you can. So be excited next week or not next week, but in two weeks from now, part two will be coming out and you'll be able to listen to the entire conversation in its two parts. So yes, with that, without further ado, please enjoy the show. And am I ever excited, friends, to announce our guest today. You know him as the author of the urban fantasy series Valduken, the pulp fantasy collection, Black Raven, and many, many more short stories. He has written gripping adventures for Call of Cthulhu and Traveler, he is also a fellow podcast host or co-host of the Modern Mythos podcast. He is a gold any award-winning YouTube personality for his channel filled with insightful strategies, philosophies, and game reviews. He is none other than Seth Skorkowski. Seth, why don't you say hello to the listeners?
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here, Seth. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. In my uh, journey to becoming a game master... Or transitioning from becoming a Dungeon Master to a Game Master, your videos were uh, important ones for me and I imagine they were important for many other listeners. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your humble beginnings as a Game Master and and kind of your background, what brought you into gaming and uh, what kind of Game Master you are?
1: Okay. Uh, well, I I think like most gamers, I started with D and D. That's that's usually the gateway drug uh, for, for the, the majority of us, just due to the brand recognition of people that aren't gamers. You know, a lot of people just know what D and D is. Uh, usually due to the Satanic Panic, uh, which was probably the best hype machine ever uh, for Dungeons and Dragons. And when I was 13, uh, there was a, a d box set released, and I really wanted it because, well, once again, the Satanic Panic. I wanted to check out this game that drove you insane. And so I started playing it right after then, like weeks, like two weeks. Um, yeah, I, was in, I was in Boy Scouts, and another kid in my troop played, and his dad ran games, and they played what was called Advanced dungeons and dragons which was just so much cooler <laughs> than my my basic DD. i didn't know that i was basic but i was basic and uh, right after that we started uh playing and that uh was ended up being a very close group of friends we played uh dnd for several years and so and we we like had like a game or two of like star frontiers which was like dnd in space and uh, then when I was 18 and I was in my punk rock phase, a buddy of mine introduced me to Cyberpunk 2020. But you know, we kept d as our, our main game for several more years. We just kind of had this occasional, every once in a while, side game of Cyberpunk. Or uh, always kept trying to get a MechWarrior game off the ground that never worked. Uh, but finally, uh, we ended up switching over to uh, Cyberpunk, which is a skill-based game uh, using what's called the Interlock Unlimited hack or tools or interlock system and then we used a, a hack on it called interlock unlimited that was even more house rules on it and that really suddenly opened our eyes and all of a sudden we started playing a lot of different things after a few years fifth edition came out and i got talked into running 5e for a year and all of us pretty much had the opinion of like this is this is a very tight version of dungeons and dragons i think they did a great job with it but We are so used to playing skill-based games now that this is not us anymore Mm. and uh that was right when call of cthulhu uh summit edition released and i jumped on that and oh yeah the rest is history uh so (laughs) 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 and and now i've played like dozens of different systems and and lots of different things
0: yeah what what is it about call of cthulhu that that you know, draws you in and, and seem yeah. from the YouTube videos that I've seen, you, you kind of tend to like that, uh, Arkham, har- Arkham horror type of type of vibe. Is, is that, is that something that you would consider to be part of your, um, your wheelhouse and your, your preferred genre of gaming? Uh,
1: well, I've always, I've always leaned into horror. Um, you know, even my fantasy has always been on the, the darker edge of, uh, of fantasy, uh, and so I've always I've always liked that, and so that's that was the big draw. Uh, system wise, I think it's just a fantastic system because there's like no math. Um, you know, you, you know what your <laughs> skill is. You roll percentage dice, and if you get below half of that number, you're trying to do it means this. If you get below a quarter, it means this. Those numbers are already written down, so you don't even have to calculate it. Um, mm-hmm. If you've got a, a plus or a minus, it's now just you know advantage or disadvantage dice. I had no math at all, and it's it's so easy. There's no special abilities or feats. You know, it's one of the things that would always drive me nuts in a lot of games where uh, all of a sudden there's 97 special abilities, uh, which it's usually easy for a player because a, a player has one or two, and then as they get stronger, they get you know three, four, five. But as a GM, uh, you're, you're kind of almost expected to walk in knowing all 60 or whatever they are, uh, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that really becomes overwhelming. And it doesn't have any of that. It's real smooth, real simple, uh, very tight. I like the 1920s backdrop. I think it's fun, but we'll also do uh, modern. Um, Right now, I've been waiting very impatiently for uh, their uh, Victorian-era Gaslight setting to release for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, So we want to give that a spin. Um, I bumped into Mike Mason at Chaosium Con a few weeks ago and yeah, you know, his first thing is he he was he thought i was going to ask about a project i did with him some time ago like getting a status update I'm like mike i don't care about that that'll happen when it happens tell me about gaslight what's going on with gaslight and he wasn't <laughs> expecting me to like ignore my own project it's just like this is actually the only thing i care about because i know when the stuff that i've done is is ready to work on you're going to contact me i will hear about this so i'm not worried but I got campaigns to plan, buddy. When is when is this coming out?
0: <laughs> got your priorities um, straight. That's awesome. That's
1: awesome. So I I actually really do like the the, this, the the time period versatility as far as settings with Call of Cthulhu because you know they do have their Western setting. I tried to get my guys into the, the Roman era. It's called Cthulhu Invictus, but they just weren't sold on Roman era. I wish I'd known that before I joined the Kickstarter and got the book and the screen and all that stuff. But, um, <laughs> yeah, too late. And then I also watched, like, the entirety of Rome and Spartacus again to, like, get myself pumped get up. But And yeah, then they were like, yeah, yeah. I don't really don't care about the Roman times. Like, and I I, didn't, I wasn't passionate enough about it to, like, talk them into it. So I was like, okay, we'll do something else instead. Um, but that's that's a big thing I like. It's just the simplicity of the system. I find it very elegant. Uh, which is weird because Call of Cthulhu 7th edition is very similar to how it was in 1st edition. There actually aren't many changes. It's backwards mm. compatible. It's that smooth. So now you're looking at a 40 year old system that has just been honed. It hasn't been um, reimagined or rebuilt. Because a lot of other games once you you go on a long enough timeline, whatever edition they're on now is only vaguely recognizable to what the earlier editions were like uh that's yeah, why if you're trying yeah, to convert yeah, yeah. like you know D D early stuff you know from from basic or first edition to fifth edition it's really freaking hard uh because so much has changed well with this one it's like i can do it in my head i don't even have to write anything down it's that smooth of a transition they made such a tight game and at this point they're just down to polish
0: it's super smooth it's it's a great it's a great system i i am still you know learning the ropes i've never i've never been a keeper uh, but i've played a few games one of my buddies ran actually he kind of like home a like a settler uh 1700s early canada setting which was really neat you know with all the with all the beautiful horrific monsters that uh, one might find in the dark woods in Canada in the 1700s um, yeah I love it it's a very like you said very simple and it really lets you kind of focus more on everything else and not the math and the powers and the having cue cards I remember the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons it was Actually, it wasn't the first time, but one of the first times I played Fourth Edition, I had like a an infographic showing me what kind of actions to do in certain scenarios because it was just so complicated. Um, it took away from it took away from the things that I love most in the game the the role play the the characters the narrative things like this.
1: Oh yeah, um, when when I did a, a video over like how to do combat in Call of Cthulhu, I, I did have a lot of people come in and like, wow, that's so much more complex than than D anD D. And uh, with a lot of systems and D and D, starting with third edition onward, was uh, had stealth complexity. And that's where it came down to special abilities and feats and, and, and powers that your characters would get at whatever level, is when you looked at the, the combat mechanics by themselves, they were pretty simple. But then, uh, once you started adding all of these other features to it, it really became overwhelming very, very quickly. At least it did for me. So with Call of Cthulhu, it's like, okay, yeah, the base system is a little bit more complex than you'd start with D&D, but then you're done. And that's it. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> D&D, just, it just keeps getting more and more and more complicated. So when people are like, it's more complicated. No, it's not. It is so simple.
0: Exactly. Once Once you figured it out, you figured it out. And that's... That's, that's it. That's the end of that. Um, awesome. Th- thanks, Seth, for giving us that background about, about you as a, as a Game Master. Before we dive in to our topic at hand for today, which is talking about Game Master philosophies and you know, core Game Master beliefs, things like this, I want to give you an opportunity to inform the listeners about some of your ongoing projects, maybe something uh, you want to, you, you're working hard on right now that you want to shed some light on or, or where people can find some of your content.
1: Well, um, you know, the the most visible would be my my YouTube channel under the highly imaginative name, Seth Skorkowski. Everybody came up with a cool name to give their channel but me. And that was because uh, I was coming in as as an author uh, who had several books under his belt. I wanted the name recognition involved. So I just used my name. And then have spent years later looking at people with have cool channel names. I'm like, yeah, I didn't do that. Damn! <laughs> that um, makes
0: you makes you look, you know, OG. You're the of that ilk where you don't need a, a fancy name. You just you're just you. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just me. You're the
1: brand. <laughs> and um, so so I've got the the YouTube channel, which is lots of different games, lots of different videos, philosophies, how-to. Sometimes I just have to do really goofy, stupid uh, videos because that was the mood I was in. Um, and then, of course, my books, uh, which you'd mentioned. I have my Valdican series, uh, which is modern-day Monster Hunters. Uh, my Black Raven series, which is pulpy sword and sorcery, thief adventure, short stories. Very Fritz Leiber, Farford and Great Mauser sort of thing. Very leans into the cliches and tropes. Um, and then uh, my most recent novel, Ashes of Onyx, is uh, technically what's called a new weird. So it's kind of a, a not any specific fantasy genre. It's got a little bit of portal, got a little bit of epic, uh, got a little bit urban, and a little bit of horror, quite a bit of horror. Um, and that goes into uh, world hopping and the King in Yellow mythology. Uh, but more of the Chambers Beerce mythology than the Lovecraft mythology that came along later. And then, of course, you mentioned Modern Mythos. Yeah, a lot of that. I do have a few other things I'm working on. I just can't talk about them yet. Uh, as right. um, One of the curses in the industry is like, what have you been working on? I was like, man, I've been busting my butt for a long time working on something, and one day I look forward to talking about it. <laughs> um, I did just recently do a, a thing with Glass Cannon's uh, play, uh, play group. Uh, so I will... Very likely be returning there in the future that's not confirmed, but we're talking about uh, cool. doing some more things together uh, so and then of course I have my adventures that are in print any others that are coming I have to wait for the publisher to talk about before I'm allowed to
0: all right all right well when when they come out don't don't hesitate to ping us and we'll we'll happily I'll
1: have, be screaming happy. it off a mountain dude don't worry
0: yeah <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, yeah. So I guess with that, let's uh, let's dive into our our topic at hand. And Seth, what we like to do on this show is first we like to kind of define our terms. So so that everybody listening and that the two of us talking are kind of on the same page when we talk about the you know, the thing that we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> okay. Now, don't feel like you have to go look it up. Uh, you know, no Webster dictionary or anything like that. But um, when, when we talk about a GMing philosophy or a core jamming belief, uh, what does that make you think of? What's the, what's the first thing that kind of comes to mind to you and you, know, you and I can kind of bounce back and forth as we concoct a definition uh, together. Um.
1: So the, 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 the philosophy it it's it's kind of a, the difference between policies and procedures. Back when I was in the corporate world, of uh, policy is why we do what we do, and then procedure is how we do what we do, and and uh, so philosophy to me is the why do we do this? Um, so it's it's not necessarily the how, uh, but kind of the motivation behind why we do certain things or why certain things work better um, than others or why certain behaviors are, are detrimental. Because uh, you'll, you'll have a lot of people, to they can identify certain things that are wrong in a group of why a, a game fails or why a group isn't working or why we've got a problem player, but nobody can identify exactly what it is. And that's where we start getting down to the philosophy level of... Um, usually the social contract of the the unspoken agreements that we all have um, around the table that many of us have never consciously thought about but we all somehow agreed to except for the one shirk that's not doing it and and we're trying to figure out why this is a problem so for me the philosophy is basically why things work and don't and what our actual obligations and things are it's all, it's all the whys there is personal preference involved um you know for example whenever i've talked about like you know you know the worst types of players one of the requests that i'll get a lot is for the power gamer and power gamer is often used as kind of a like oh they're a power gamer like it's the worst thing ever however there's actually nothing at all wrong with power gamer. The problem is, if you're not a power gamer, that it's the worst thing ever. But it's really just a conflict of our personal tastes that has caused the issue. It actually isn't that either of them is wrong. They just don't mesh together that well. But if you have a power gamer that's in a group of power gamers, they're going to have more fun than anyone ever has. It'll be the best game of all time, as long as everybody's on board with that. Uh, but if you have a, a group that's very role play heavy, very into the, the story and the nuances, then, then a power gamer can jump in there like a bowl in a china shop. And it just, everybody's miserable and unhappy with the, the results mm-hmm. of that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that their way of playing is wrong.
0: Yeah, uh, no, uh, 100%. I agree with that. Um, I, c- I couldn't agree more, actually. And in fact, when you have those divergences, of philosophies as a player or a game master, you tend to find yourself in a situation where some people are saying that they're not having fun. Some people find themselves in a situation where your fun is, is stealing away from my fun because you're spending so much time having a scene between two characters that, you know, I, I'm not here for that. Or vice versa, you know, you're you're min-maxing your character, you're getting the bet, you're specking them out to be the, the op- most optimized thing at the shop or what have you during downtime. And everybody else just wants to run off and, and talk to the mayor or something. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's perfect. So I unless that you had other things that you wanted to plug into that about the philosophy and, and what it what it is.
1: I think at the core that's it. I mean, you and I could yeah. deep dive into that for the next 3 days, but we probably wouldn't get much deeper, <laughs> but we'd find a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a lesson I've learned is to move along quickly from the, from the definition, because otherwise you just go on forever. Um, And then I guess I'll ask you a question that, you know, it's always hard to answer this for yourself, but Seth, what would you consider to be part of your core philosophy as a, as a player and, and game master when it comes to tabletop RPGs?
1: Um. Kind of the cores of my philosophy is I want my players to have fun. I mean, it's the whole reason we do this. But also one of the big reasons that I I game is, you know, as, as my friends and I have gotten older, game days are our days that we get together and we set aside just for us. And we don't have any obligations outside of us, you know, no jobs, no kids, no bills no nothing this is we're just going to be a bunch of dorks and and have a good time but we're also here to do something uh so we're not just there to hang out while that is definitely a core part of it and is necessary we also are doing a a project and the project is going to be the game of (laughs) you know whatever the 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 plot or the quest or or whatever it is so we we not only want to play, but we want to feel that we have achieved something um, in that game, uh, versus kind of meandering aimlessly. And then we we stop and we talk. And at the end of a five hour session, we look back. We only really got about twenty minutes worth of play time in. We want to actually really focus up and uh, achieve something in this this game world, um, either mechanically or, or plot wise or, or whatnot. So. Uh, and we want to have fun with that, so we we approach it with the style of there is the massive social aspect. This is for us to, as old friends, but then there's our group project of we are going to play a game, and we're gonna we're going to get something significant uh, achieved, and we're gonna have fun doing this. Um, and, but the fun is always uh, front and center because I have. I think like any GM that's done it for any amount of time, I have I have committed every game master sin under the sun. Uh, <laughs> I, I just if there were merit badges, I got a sash of them, man. I, I have done so many and I still find myself screwing up and doing them. Uh, and we're finding brand new ones to do. Uh, where sometimes you you've gotten so much into your, your world, you forgot the part where the the characters are supposed to somehow fit into it and you know so that it it becomes this info dumpy world and like the characters are kind of like an inconvenience for whatever your big world plot is i've done that one i've done it where i didn't prepare enough and they felt like there was no direction given there was no quest they didn't have a good hook they didn't have they didn't have a plot or a story that felt like it made true sense or was logical Um, that's a big thing that they want as my players are very keen on uh the logic behind our plots that makes it very difficult to do a lot of the improv for it because you know it's kind of like a a a good jj abrams plot like lost man it makes it makes sense in that moment until you it doesn't but it doesn't pass the refrigerator test meaning when you you get home and you open up the fridge and you're like wait that made no damn sense my players absolutely demand that it makes sense and Oof, that, that's and that they're, tough they're not that's be, really that be plot holes uh i also have one that will go wandering off from the desert of madness of some like guys i figured it out it's aliens <laughs> and you're like what the hell are you talking about like they've you know they've they've pieced things together wrong you don't even know where they got some of these pieces and they've now convinced everybody of the wrong thing i've got that guy love him to death but
0: <laughs> that sounds a lot <sighs> like somebody at my table too <sighs> it's he likes, so likes to look for plot holes too he likes to be like wait he like flips through his no but seven games ago you said this and now this is happening that's a plot hole you know i mean he does it oh. out of fun he's not he's not oh. trying to be an ass about it But for mine
1: he doesn't believe there's such a thing as a plot hole uh it means that he has discovered a clue uh Ooh. which is which is so much worse because i've actually <laughs> had to at times look at him dead in the eyes it'd be like the character did at Chage Naps, i just forgot what they were called uh yeah you know, like like dude just it's secretly a shapeshifter it, it's a bottle <laughs> but but and he's gotten so far that he'll like kind of listen and nod his head but he's already convinced himself that that's a thing so i i'll, I'll never get rid of that that's a thing forever now um, oh man that's so frustrating but so what my players <laughs> like like a good story and plot and yeah we love action we love a great combat i mean we came from old old uh, you know, a d and d and cyberpunk man we will we will throw down a combat like the best of them, but there has to be the certain level of risk involved. The characters must be in peril they will use strategy they will uh really get into that that mechanic aspect but in the efficient way, not the not the inefficient way that you hear a lot of people talk about. Uh, So, but we get into a lot of different aspects of things, and our tastes can change, you know, know, system to system, or even adventure to adventure, of just what we're in the mood for, or what really draws us, and that's what we end up focusing on. So, um, I think that the newest person in our group um uh, uh, timeline wise i started playing with him in 99 but big jolt, jolt to that uh we weren't playing together i think i've played with him for about eight years if you stack it all up um uh, he's the new guy right now
0: that sounds like a that sounds like a long time still <laughs> uh
1: you know the our, our previous new guy who technically i still joke at is the new guy started in 2009 uh but we're like, yeah, dude, man, Jerry started before you technically. He's like, but he wasn't here for most of it. And like, well, sorry, <laughs> you're still the new guy. Um, so w- we also do have a good way of reading and, and playing off of each other that uh, is, is really unique to us. And I, it was an odd lesson I learned when I started getting involved in the community to realizing how rare that is uh because for us that's just how we've always done it man you game with me it's like we're married man uh like this is you're committing for the rest of your life buddy that's its <laughs> <that's> evidently what <laughs> yeah. we do
0: yeah you know that i can i'm seeing a lot of parallels actually our our gaming group we've been playing the same kind of core group of people since since university and, and that was in 2010 so it's been about 12 years now that we're together and obviously with kids or work or people moving and then coming back or what have you these there's been little gaps here and there but yeah there's there's this idea of the table having its own understanding of what the fun is for everybody else it almost feels like i know i know i'm probably going to title this episode the game master philosophies but it's almost like it's a table philosophy at that point you talked about a social contract it's it's exactly this it's Everybody at the table striving for fun. And I love that you talked about that because that that ought to be everybody's objective here. When you're playing a game, it's for you to have fun, for your players to have fun, and everybody to just feed off of each other, right? Um, so I, I 100% agree with that. It's finding finding your fun. But I, I think it can be a challenge for folks to figure that out. Uh, new game masters or new tables, it's not always obvious what the fun is until you experiment a little bit. So I, I wonder, maybe Seth, if if you have some some stories or instances where you evolved your own philosophies or, or mistakes you made that enabled you to to change your philosophies, things like that. Uh, if that if that speaks to you.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. So so many of my approaches changed. Uh, so when I started, we we went back to the old AD and D days, uh, which was very dungeon crawly meat grinder why are we here we're here because it's you know you you climb the mountain because it's there you go in the dungeon because it's there um we i was also ridiculously liberal when it came to resurrections i I talked about this in one of my early videos and i don't think i actually made it clear if a character died they were almost guaranteed to have their god send them back like death was just a minor inconvenience but the, the result was I did it because I didn't want them to like lose their character that we spent the past year and a half doing, right? Because we, we were doing hardcore uh, punishing level of adventure. So I was like, you're not, okay, you, you go to your god. You have to uh, you, you sacrifice some item or you're going to have to go back and build a temple to them, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to send you back and you come back. Sometimes you come back with a new item. Uh, but death became a minor inconvenience and there was no threat, no fear involved at all. That was the unintended consequence of of my basically overusing this. And or you end up in the situation where uh because you've done it for everybody, if you the first person you don't is suddenly a problem because why are you singling me out? You know, you sent them back. You said why why not me? And and those are fair questions. So you know I, I put myself in a hole because I was to giving in that sense. I didn't want them to actually have consequences. So when we flipped to a very lethal system, uh, where all of a sudden that wasn't an option anymore. They felt a lot more satisfaction in a, 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 in a triumph. And that's when that's when I, I I knew this. These are things that I I knew, but I actually it really took me experiencing it of when they're truly, truly believe, that their characters are in peril and they will lose them forever, and that the risk is one hundred percent real, that joy they have of pulling it off is just so much more than if they knew there was a safety net. So that was that was one of the lessons I had learned the hard way. Is you know, I'm also really bad about giving away a lot of uh, items. Man, I love it. Yeah, i go through the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide or the, the old Unearthed Arcana and all these lists of magic items, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to give them one of these and one of these. And yeah. after a while, they look down, they've got like literally a barrel of magic swords next to the door, like an umbrella stand, which they did have. But also in that edition, we had things like uh, fireballs and lightning bolts could destroy your items. So I used those freely because I would take away their items through those. Which, that went away at third. But first and second, that was a definite... You walked out of a dungeon naked half the time because the wizard put their fireball too close to you. And, <laughs> and yet I, played, I was like, oh, you just love taking away our stuff. I was like, here's the thing. It's not that I like taking away your stuff. It's that I know that in the next room, you're going to find something way cooler than that. Uh, so it was actually my addiction to giving them stuff <laughs> that led to... Um, I was very free in taking stuff away. It's just I always gave you something better. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. While. It just you got to use it to then get into something else. I I love giving people things that are like expendable. So it's like yeah, sure you have got your magic fire sword, but it, it's gonna go away after five uses. You know. Oh then, yeah. Then it poofs into into oblivion.
1: Oh man, and and that that was a hard lesson to learn. Of like you know what, charged items are awesome. It's not not even rechargeable. Like you use it once, twice, five times, it's gone. Like oh thank God. Um, so yeah, my my approach to a lot of it has changed over the years. As we've matured, as we went from just dungeon crawling to really, really heavy, intensive levels of uh, role play, we might go sessions without a combat. Or uh, just because there's a monster, it does not mean you have the slightest chance of being able to defeat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, this might actually be about getting away from the monster. Uh, and those are things that we brought in um you know, back when we were still at D&D, we hadn't figured out that there was other games out there. And we're basically trying to shoehorn uh, these new ways of playing that we thought we were the first people to come up with um, into the system that's really not designed don't for we it. All.
0: Don't we all. Uh, of them.
1: <laughs> or there's like, the, I don't want to buy new books, so I'm going to you know make a three inch binder of all my house rules um and trying to trying to figure out and reinvent the wheel so over the the 20 years which I say i've got two players that have played with me that entire time since uh back in college uh january of 99 that's when we formed uh so two of them have played with me through that whole time i ended up marrying one so she can't get away
0: now (laughs) she's stuck with you yeah and then another you weren't one, kidding about that. <laughs> being at your table is a, is a marriage contract, right? <laughs> and,
1: and the other one, we were each other's best men. I mean, you know, it's like this there is a, it was a commitment. <laughs> and then another one who who came back, he was part of that original, you know, 1999 group. Uh, so we're we're very tight. We also have all of us have matured and changed and taste you know, everything. We're not even the same people remotely that we were. So yeah. My philosophies and approaches have changed, and I think once you hit a point that they stop changing, it the game starts getting boring and it starts stagnating. So I, I think that it should always be a, an evolution or a change of style. Certain things that don't appeal to you right now, maybe they'll appeal to you in the future and you, you embrace them and you perfect them. Or things that you once did that you liked, but then your taste changed. Maybe you'll go back and revisit it and you'll get to experience that in a new way because now you have these new experiences you've had since then and kind of explore and reinvent different ways of doing it. I, it always makes me kind of sad when I do hear about people who've basically played the exact same way you know, for 10 years. Uh, it's like, wow, man, there was so many more possibilities, but you know, if they're having fun, they're having fun. It's just, I think they could be having a lot more <laughs> they just don't know yeah, uh, but yeah like I said if they're having fun they're having fun but you know I, I look at my experience and the experience of my players and once we really started opening up horizon our eyes just widened um, you know I always tried to do it, it, make people aware of all the other things out there and all the other possibilities so it makes me happy to know that uh, you got turned on to Call of Cthulhu and all that stuff uh, through what I'm doing that's one of the big goals so That I'm very happy right now. Very content.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Good. Well, I'm I'm glad. Um, And and yeah. And for for the listeners out there who you know who are thinking maybe you don't know what your philosophy is yet, or you think you know, but you you're afraid to challenge yourself. I think what Seth is saying, you know, makes a whole lot of sense for you to attempt to challenge yourself. And it doesn't have to be a big commitment either. You know, we're we're talking like I'm talking about a game that's lasted nearly 12 years. Seth is talking about a game that's lasted, what, 20, 25 years, but you, it's a group. We've played a lot of different campaigns and games. Well, yeah. So that's exactly the distinction I I think is important to make here. It's, is that you can run a one shot. You can run a small game, two, three, a two or three shot, you plan for a one shot ends up being a three shot or whatever you want it to be. But, um, in something new, in a new system, in in like a micro rpg just to kind of get a sense of what else is out there and that'll help you challenge your 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 gaming philosophy S- something that i challenged myself on recently or not recently it's been about two years now but something that i'm proud of is that i used to always hate travel in my games i thought it was pointless and that I would just fast track everything. Like okay, you go to there, to there, done. I'm not gonna count your rations. I'm not gonna do any of that. And I told myself, I I need to try. I need to try a game where this is important. So I did, and it it was a maritime game where we had a boat. It's my it's my current pirate game for those of you listening that that are following following that little adventure. And yeah, I, I started tracking wind direction and how far the boat could go and how much food was on the boat and when they started going too far, the wind would stop. You know, all these things that I used to think were just kind of trivial and, and m- like minutia that I didn't want to have to handle, I, I challenged myself to do it and I was quite pleased, uh, in fact, by the amount of uh, depth it added to kind of the survival element of the game, that was a lot of fun and would have been would have been something I would have never considered doing. So so yeah so that's that's kind of something that I've done to kind of challenge myself in in addition to what Seth uh, was explaining.
1: And, and what's amazing is stuff like that because because we've had it we were, we've you, you you count rations and this and usually we've had games where the the party was so broke for several games in a row that they couldn't afford beer when they go to a tavern. I yeah you know, like we're counting copper pieces. If if the game is kind of geared towards that it's amazing. If it's not, and then you try to add it to it, it just sucks the fun out of it faster than anything. So part of it's how you approach it and the situation around when you approach that. Because, uh, yeah, there are games where I've just fast-tracked it too. It's like, you get there, I don't, I don't want to waste time on the middle. That's not the, that's not the point. And then there's others where it actually is the journey. And, mm-hmm. and when they get to the destination, that's when you fast track. are like, okay, you get there. You turn the thing, blah, 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 next adventure. <laughs> and, and they're like, wait, that, yeah, the adventure was the journey. Or we really get, get into that aspect of it. Um, and that's what I mean by change up how, how you play is there there's a lot of things that might not be important to you now. But if you do focus on them through the right lens or the right approach, and if everybody's on board, they can be amazing. But if if not everyone's on board or it's just not right, not the right situation, it, it's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's just miserable. Yeah.
0: And actually, that's a that's a good point, and it's something that I've always kind of wondered. I mean, obviously, I'm a big proponent of having, you know, conversations with people at your table and session zeros and things like this. But it's it's something that I've always is always been at the back of my mind about coming to this consensus has always been with new people in the hobby they've never played a role-playing game before here they come into the into the game I don't wanna I don't want to scare them away by saying like okay here's a social contract you gotta you, you gotta you gotta have fun what's your fun you know like it, it's a little bit it can be a little bit intimidating um, so I, I wonder if uh, if Seth you feel like there are circumstances where a game master's philosophy, ought to change for the people at the table or if you're if you're more of a proponent because this is kind of a, a debate that i've seen on twitter a few times now do you stick to your guns and say this is how i play my games this is how i want to run my games or do you do you pivot for the people that are at your table and, and why why do you feel that way
1: okay um okay well first off the the foundation of the the bedrock of the of the philosophy is fun everything above that is negotiable uh what's what's not negotiable is we're here to have fun uh because i have also had had it where i've treated gming like a job and i didn't enjoy it and those were some miserable games even if i went through the motions to make them happy it was kind of like uh it wasn't as satisfying for everybody Um there was the debate that i had to use when i started wanting to change systems was i will give you a better game if i'm excited Uh, Or we can just keep going through the motions and they will slowly get worse and worse and worse because I'm forcing myself to do this. But um, I've always had the caveats of new players. You know, because I'm I'm really adamant that a a player needs to understand the rules that affect them. You know, you you should probably understand the basics of the combat system. I, I expect that you understand what your skills and powers are. If you have special abilities and skills and powers that are unique to your character, you're going to be the only one that needs to know them. I expect you to know them. Uh, don't, uh, don't expect anybody else to or don't suddenly make us like, can we go back 10 minutes because I forgot that I've got this special ability, all that. No, uh, I expect that you know what your character can do. Uh, in order for the game to move smoothly and for everybody to get the most out of it, because we kind of are relying on you remembering that your, your character can find traps or, or whatever it is. But if they're a new player, oh, it's exceptions out the butt, because they're a new player. Yeah, All of us were, and, and nobody's born knowing all this stuff. So mostly with the new player, it's a lot more you know, hand-holding. We're very forgiving if if they forget stuff, because, you know, and all of us will be like, don't worry about it. We forget stuff all the time, uh, sort of thing. But then after a couple sessions, you know, it becomes less and you know, it starts being like, okay, I am expecting you to retain some of this. Um, you know, there, there's only there's only so many times I can tell you which diet to roll. Before it starts, uh, you know, it, it, it annoying me. If we're five sessions in, you still don't know how to roll a two hit, we got a problem. Uh, but for that first game, no problem. The second game, probably the first time, I'll like, okay, if you remember last time, this is what we rolled, and they are like, oh yeah, yeah, it's like that's fine. But after a while, I do expect them to start re- retaining uh, stuff. Um, I yeah, when you know, they talk about online stuff. A lot of times, people will pull up some sort of just weird clear exception, but they treat that like that is a, uh, a proof that your philosophy or statement is just absolutely wrong under all conditions mm. because they can pull out a, a, an obvious exception. Um, I, a recent one that I had was I I have a philosophy uh, in, a, in a tabletop role-playing game that stuff like uh, you're, you're, you can't just get out of something with a charisma check. I want you to, to role-play Now, I don't want or even need you to tell me everything that your character tells the, the guard. I don't, We don't need to role play this whole conversation. I got stuff to do, man. Uh, I got other people around the table that, that would like to play too tonight. We don't need to spend 30 minutes having some conversation about what the King's shoes. But if you do walk up and, and like, you know, there's a guard you want out of the way, and you're like, help, 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 there's a fire you know, there's over there. And you, then you roll the Christmas check and the guard goes running out to check it. That's all I needed. Uh, that's, that's the extent of what I want. And not just like, I'm going to give a charisma check to get rid of the guard. I'm like, well, what is it you say? I'm not asking exactly what you say. Uh, you know, give me a direction of attack or, uh, with Call of Cthulhu. There's like four socials. Like there's intimidate, persuade, charm. Um, so I'd be like, what do you say? Is like, well, you need to give us this or we'll kill you. I'm going to do a charm. It's like, that's clearly an intimidation. Like I'm not good at intimidation. Would you like to rephrase what you said? <laughs> or you're going to roll intimidation um and they're like oh and I, I want them to give some thought to it uh, but a lot of people who got mad and you know uh, one one person brought up like the case of he plays the son who's who's heavily autistic and you know it's like yeah you know disabilities and and those sorts of things where where they they, they actually have a disability that's an obvious exception to that like why would you even bring that up as an argument? Like, I'm actually insulted mm-hmm. that you would th- would even think that I, I wouldn't make exceptions for the people around the table if they had special circumstances. Uh, you know, that's you know, that, that's why we call it special needs. They have they have a special need. Of course, I'm going to accommodate any of that. I'm not going to stick to my philosophy that I would for everybody else in a special case. It's like if mm-hmm. uh, if it, if I play with children, oh yeah, my. My philosophy of what I've, I expect of my players is going to drastically change, or my approach is going to drastically change, if they're all ten years old. But yeah, if they're yeah, if
0: exactly. they're, if they're forty Hopefully year old adults,
1: I hold them yeah. to a different standard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that all goes that saying.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, um, and and I think that that's an important thing. Maybe we should have said that right at the beginning. That you know all of these philosophies or any kind of belief in the game is subject to uh, to subject to exceptions and it I'm back it's sick Matt again <laughs> hi everybody I I thought that that was a pretty natural spot to stop or as natural as I could find in the recording of the conversation there with Seth so I I wanted to kind of stop it there for this week for this week's episode and we'll get back to the rest of the conversation where we talk about, you know, we continue to talk about GM philosophies. And I also ask Seth some questions about his YouTube channel and you know unrelated questions that aren't really about um, aren't really about GMing philosophies. So please stay tuned for that. It's gonna be coming out in two weeks from now. Until then, I'd like to encourage you to go check out Seth's content so you can find Seth's content on YouTube. So that's Seth Skorkowski, where he talks about gaming philosophies, kind of like we did in today's episode. He also talks about uh, game reviews, module reviews, and he does all kinds of uh, tips and strategies and even some other silly, silly things. So you can go find him there. Also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Seth... Has a number of different novels and books that you can go check out. They're available in audio format, ebook format, and in print. So I'd encourage you to go find Seth on his website and and read his novels. And of course, there's uh, the Modern Mythos podcast where he is the co-host. So you can go find him. You can go listen to him there. Seth is also on Twitter. If you want to go find him on Twitter, you can. That's S skorkowski on Twitter, so at S Korakowski. S, like, so two S's. <laughs> All right, I'm starting to fade. I'm pretty tired. This cold is getting the better of me. So before I sign off for the day, I'd also want to remind you that you can reach out to me. That's at role underscore play underscore chat on Twitter and contact chat at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. I'd also like to encourage you to check out the show notes for today's episode where you can find the affiliate links for my hero forge and for drive through rpg anything you purchase there with my affiliate link will give me a small fraction of what you buy and will help me make the show better please look forward to the next episode again where we continue the conversation with seth and until then take care let's call it a chat i guess i have to say that right